<clears throat> well, welcome you guys. It's awesome to hear the praises of God's people. Love it how the Lord transforms our hearts and minds and when we sing worship songs and how it's just, uh, it's just neat. One day we'll be in heaven and uh, it will be an endless worship service and we will see Jesus face to face and it's an exciting thing and it's a promise that God gives us and it surpasses us, our circumstances and our understanding and it's just, it's just cool. I love, I love listening to God's people in unison sing unto the Lord. Uh, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into our study today. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void and I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever stop thanking you for that, God, because we need to be uh, ministered to through your word, God. Um, thank you so much for each and every person here. Thank you for their lives and, and how you see them and you love them. You love us, God. You love us so much. You love us dearly. And thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for us, God, and that it's, it's a good plan and, and you purpose to transform our lives and to make us more like Jesus and to heal relationships and to, to bring us into a place of, of peace with you, Father God. Just thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you that your word teaches us all things about you and life and godliness and, and uh, that you haven't left us stranded. Thank you that even when our own mind leaves us stranded or our emotions or things are rocky in this world, Lord, that your word stands solid, truthful, powerful. Help us, Lord, to make it the foundation of our lives, Lord. We need your help in that, God. As human beings, we are so self-sufficient sometimes, Lord, and it's just, it doesn't mix well. We need your help. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. And just pray, Lord, for, um, again, for all those that are involved with the Dixie Fire and the Fly Fire, Lord, up in Northeast. And just pray that you would bring uh, healing to, the, to, that, to those forests, that you would put the fire out, Lord, and that you would change the conditions of the weather, Lord, so that it would be eased up on the, on the firefighters, Lord, and uh, pray for Oregon's fire and down south as well, Lord, that you would just have your hand upon these uh, tragic situations, Lord, and um, we just lift that up to you as well, Father. Uh, thank you so much for uh, the body of Christ and just pray for all the churches in this community and in the world, really, Lord, that you would have your hand upon pastors and leaders and teachers and uh, women and men, Lord, that are just stepping out in faith to share your gospel with those around them, Lord, whether in a home church in China, Lord, or or in an American church in some big building, God, we just ask that your spirit, Lord, would fall upon your body, Lord, and that you would save people, that you would transform lives, and that you would encourage leaders, God, to continue the good fight, Lord, to keep walking, Lord, the calling that you have on all of the body's life, Lord, to, to be you in, in, in this world, Lord, to be your hands and feet, a mouthpiece or a helping hand. So we just ask, God, that you would just empower people to do the ministry, that you would give them faith, Lord, to speak to their neighbors, to share about you. Just thank you so much for what you're doing, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So we continue this uh, amazing adventure that Paul is experiencing in Ephesus. And we will be reading um, two verses that we ended off with, actually, yes, last week um, in Acts. So we'll be reading Acts chapter 19, verse 21 
through Acts chapter 20, verse 1. Does anybody not own a Bible? If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles here that are a gift to you. If you don't have a Bible today, um, you can use one to read. You can read on the screen. Um, but today's message is riot in emphasis. And um, last week, we read about the first sec- section of 19 where um, uh, just <laughs> mayhem seems to be following Paul in Ephesus. And, and, and the amazing thing happened, you know, uh, even in the midst of people coming against him, the word went out and uh, people brought all of their witchcraft books and all of their spells and everything, and they brought them together and burned them. And so there was this amazing transformation that was happening in Ephesus. And it wasn't because of anything except Paul preaching the gospel. Paul was always about the kingdom of God, preaching about Jesus, making Jesus the, the, the focus. And so we pick up here in Acts 19, verse 21, and, and, and the, 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 the enemy is, is still at work trying to disrupt what God is doing in Ephesus. Even after these great things happen in the first part of 19 in Ephesus, and, and this time it gets even more crazier. And hence the title, Riot in Ephesus. So we'll pick up in Acts chapter 21, I mean 19, verse 21. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So Paul was making his plans, guided by the Holy Spirit to make his way to Rome. But first he had visited the churches in Macedonia, Achaia, in order to complete the gathering of funds as a love offering that was taken up for the church, from the churches abroad, for the poor saints in Jerusalem. See, the church in Jerusalem was in a state of poverty due to the failed attempt in the beginning of the church to create a system where everyone sold all that they had and brought it to the church to support everyone out of it. And if you go back and you read um, in Acts chapter 2, it was a well-intended system, but it failed. It was, it was if, you ta- if you put a title to it, it was like communism in a sense where one system, one rule tried to feed everybody and it really caused the church, in, in the Jewish church, in, the church in Jerusalem to to uh, really go into a state of poverty. And so you'll read throughout uh, uh, the New Testament where Paul's journeys, they would gather funds and they would, when they would go back to the church in Jerusalem, they would bring money back from these church plants, actually, that, that the Lord allowed Paul to, to establish. And so he'd gathered supporting funds all along his missionary journey from each church um, to get it to the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, Timothy and Erastus had taken that on Uh, Paul stayed in Asia, which is Asia Minor, in Ephesus. Verse 23, it says here, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. And we see here again that word or that title or that statement, the way, uh, a second time here in in Acts chapter 19. And so here we see this, the second mention of the way. And the way means following Jesus Christ, living a life that follows Jesus Christ's way. The way of life and the way of living as the Bible pertains to how to do that. A person that has professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, their life should have evidence of being a follower of Jesus Christ. There should be evidence in our life that we're following him. And so we see here this commotion 
came about, uh, uh, about the way, this great commotion. And so there's this opposition against this statement of the way. This opposition is against Christianity. This opposition is against those who were following after Christ. See, our lives need to be tailored by the Bible, a way of life that looks different than when you were not a believer in Jesus Christ. Also, it's important to note that this is, again, a satanic attack on the work of the ministry of Paul, on the ministry of Paul and the gospel. However, this time it was not Satan the deceiver. Remember, in the other part of 19, you had... um, those who were trying to mimic Paul, you know, they were trying to, you know, eradicate or uh, these, this demon out of a person using the name of Jesus and Paul. They were, they were, they were, uh, they were um, fakes. So the enemy was trying to deceive people through these fake people. But this time, Satan came about as a destroyer. First Peter chapter five verse eight says this: "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking." whom he may devour. Our adversary is a devourer of people. He roams around like a lion wanting to destroy people. Also in this section of scripture, the enemy was not the deceiver, not only the destroyer, but also Satan's a murderer. John 8, 44 says this, you are of your father, the devil, this is Jesus speaking, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. In other words, he is a father of lies. In fact, the scripture continues, Jesus says, for he is a liar and the father of it. I love how the word of God, you know, a lot of times our fears are because we don't understand something, but the word of God reveals all things that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness, even our enemies of our soul. So Satan incited this group of silversmiths. We'll continue to read here in Acts chapter 19. He incited this this group of silversmiths to set up a public protest against Paul and the gospel. I know some of us have, you know, uh, probably memories of what was going on uh, towards Seattle and stuff during this last year, right, with the riots and everything, and you see how they, you know, they went against all authority and they created chaos and mayhem, and, and it was just disastrous. Picture that times 25,000 people, and that's what was going on in Ephesus. Verse 24 for, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. So, verse 24 tells us that there's this guy, Demetrius, who, who is a silversmith. You know what a silversmith is? Somebody who makes things out of metal. Um, obviously, silver is what the scripture is telling us here. Um, and that his living, making these shrines, these uh, false god idols that people would buy, it brought him great wealth. So Demetrius made a lot of money selling these small shrines of Diana. So here he is in verse 25, and he called them together, the workers of similar occupations. So he gets all his cronies that are silversmiths together that make a lot of money in regards to building these shrines of Diana. And he says to them, men, 
you know that we have a prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul, quote unquote, has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipped. I want you to think about that for a second. I don't really think that this guy Demetrius was really worried about the temple's worship. He was really worried about his prophet. He was losing money. So we see this false goddess called Diana. Um, This was uh, called Diana by Romans, called Artemis by the Greeks. Her most noted, this is a little bit of history about it. Her most noted temple was that at Ephesus. So So Ephesus had the epicenter of the worship of Diana. It was built outside of the city walls and was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was this magnificent creation that man had made. If you admire architecture, one historian writes, first and last, it was the work of 220 years, built of shining marble, 342 feet long and 162 and 164 feet wide, supported by a forest of columns, each 56 feet high. A sacred museum of masterpieces of sculptures and paintings was in it. And at the center, hidden by curtains within this shrine, stood the very ancient image of the goddess Diana. Supposedly, she had fallen from the sky. Can you please put the image of Diana up there for me? That weird statue. Okay. Kind of grotesque. So, um... The legs were like wrapped in some sort of mummyish wrap, and then she had an numerous amounts of breasts, and she was a sexually immoral goddess of sexual immorality. She was a goddess of fertility, and it was, it was gross. And this was the center of, of Ephesus. This was what they worshipped. And so um, also it's notated that it's possible that this uh, grotesque image that was carved out of this black rock, um, this black rock could have been maybe a meteor that had fallen or whatnot because they associated that Zeus had thrown this down from the heavens and so they worshipped it. This god of fertility. And it was behind the shrine. And, and behind the shrine was a treasury, actually. You can take the image off the board. Behind the shrine was a treasury um, where, as in, w- w- where would have been like the safest bank in Asia. Nations and kings actually stored their most precious things actually in this temple. So, so in this, in this place of in this 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 area, Ephesus, this temple had deep roots. Okay, this worshiping of this demonic goddess was deeply rooted in this society. And these people were ticked that they were losing money on their shrines. 
the lives of so many people were transformed by the gospel that it caused a huge decline in the sale of shrines for the false idol of Diana. Whenever there is a move of the gospel in a community and people's lives are truly transformed, listen, you guys, they stop buying drugs, they stop buying alcohol, they stop buying prostitution, they stop pornography, and the violence begins to subside. Hatred is traded in for forgiveness. Love becomes the standard. And you might be saying in your mind, that's not reality, Brian. That doesn't really happen. Well, I say to you that my God is the master of the life transformed. He is the master of transformed lives. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he wants to start with you and I right here. Maybe there's areas in of, of our lives that, that we have built a shrine that's not godly, you know? I know it's kind of a theme, but, but there's, it, if, you, if you follow along what's going on in Ephesus, there's this sifting and there's this, this ebb and flow of, of pulling people out of the fiery darkness and the enemy coming in and lashing out at the gospel and the efforts that Paul is doing. And in the middle of all of that, people are continuing to give their lives over to the Lord. And, and, and another thing that's important to understand is that Paul never went and told these people, hey, you know what? I'm gonna stand and picket against the shrine building of Diana. He didn't do that. What did he do? He shared about the kingdom of God, the truth about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the power that's available to people through a relationship with Jesus by grace. That's what he did. Verse 28, now when they heard this, listen. <laughs> I gotta go back to this part. And when they heard this, they were full. Okay, so when these men heard what Demetrius was telling them, they were filled with wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so now there's this uproar. There's this release of anger upon these people and hatred and passion for this demonic God. So all these silversmiths, whoever else was within listening, heard them declaring in a great loud voice, great is Diana of all of the Ephesians. Verse 29, this is crazy, you guys, listen. So the whole city, not just people, was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Ar Aristarchus. Ar Aristarchus. I, I can pronounce him when I'm studying, but not public. Aristarchus, the uh, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. Show the theater. Uh, can you show the overview one, the one that shows the whole thing? Yeah, so that's the theater in Ephesus, okay? Uh, the levels were built over a few different reigns of, of leaders, but that's a, a Roman theater. Uh, the, Jew, the Jews hated them, really, because uh, they did things in there that were really uh, fleshly and immoral. A lot of theater, different things were, were, weren't, weren't golly at all. But so this is the remnants, actually, in Ephesus of that theater, and it seats 25,000 people. It's a fairly large theater. On average, they probably had about 4,000 in theaters all throughout the Roman uh, territories. But this one was uh, 
relatively large. And so uh, go to the next slide for me with the theater. So this would be the, the floor here, okay? And so the entrance would be on this side. So I want you to picture these two people that serve with Paul and the whole city of Ephesus in this uproar over this immoral God that they worshiped. And they grab these two followers of Paul and they drag him in there. And that's why it presented that the enemy is a, a, a liar, a murderer, and a destroyer is because this whole scene went from, um, what, it, it's changed now. The enemy, he always, he tries to change his tactics. He'll, he'll lie to us and maybe deceive us and, and then maybe there'll be some physical thing that happens or, or whatever, but he's, his tactic is always to derail a believer and derail the ministry of the gospel in people's lives. And so this whole upheaval of these people, it's, it's, it's just insane what went on. It was no small thing. So this whole city filled with confusion rushed into this theater in one accord. You guys ever been to a concert? I have. I've been in a mosh pit before. Short guys in mosh pits are horrible. I get trampled on. A mosh pit is where you have probably 500 to 1,000 people smashing into each other with extremely ear-bleeding music, and you're just going in this wave of unison of all these people. And if you don't stay with all these people, you will get trampled and killed. And so I want you to think about, or have you ever gone to any place where you're standing in line or thousands of people and you're just crammed in? I mean, we went with Danielle when I was youth pastoring and we saw a Christian rap artist over at Bayside and we were just all packed like this and the door wasn't open and we were getting squished like this to the door and we're having to push people back physically like this so no one you know, got hurt. So when you put people together, it gets really physical. There's nothing pretty about it. This wasn't some wedding march. This wasn't some church you know, procession. This was an angry, insane mob that wanted blood. And they were dragging these bystanders, these Christians that followed Paul. Could you imagine what was going through their mind? They dragged him into this theater, these traveling companions of Paul. So the whole city in this frenzy, most likely their intentions were to kill these two men. The Greco-Roman theaters were built in many places like I mentioned. They were places for where Greek dramas had you know, gone on, like you'd seen on the screen there. And there was 25,000 people that were in there. That's how many people, that's how many people uh, the theater of Ephesus held. Most likely it was full. This uprising was also a great compliment, though, to how effective Paul's ministry work was in the area that they were doing ministry in. Like I had mentioned, Paul was not picketing to close down the temple of Diana. He just did the Lord's work. And as people came to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, they naturally stopped worshiping the sex goddess Diana and ended their buying of the shrines. It's amazing. In our lives, sometimes we think, how can we strategize? How can we do this? How, how can we do all this? When, 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 when Jesus is just like, man, just put the spotlight on me. Let me be the one that reigns. Let me do the work. Let me. I think the Lord's always asking us that. Let me do that. Let me help you. Let me be the Lord of your life. Let me be your strength when you're weak. 
Let me be your hope when you're hopeless. Let me be the one that wipes away your tears. Let me be the one that mends your broken heart. Let me be the one that, that, that encourages you when you're not sure where your money comes from. Let me be the one that encourages you when your relationships are broken. How many times in our lives do we actually sidestep the Lord and try and take things into our own hands? Paul was always focused on the gospel, always focused on mending, always focused on what the Lord wanted him to do. And this next thing is just even more crazy. Verse 30 and 31, we see this. And, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, in other words, he wanted, Paul, okay, I'm sorry, I I'm probably would be timid. If that was going on, I'd probably be like, um, can, Eric, you're big. Can you go with me? Paul wasn't that way. Paul saw something going on and he wanted to make sure that he could get in the middle of it and mend it through the effectiveness of the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. You've seen that in other parts of Paul. We'll see that later on, actually, as he speaks in another situation where he was the one at hand by a mob. But so Paul wanted to go into these people, and, 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 and the disciples who were with him, they wouldn't let him go. So that's probably good. I mean, sometimes we want to rush into something, too, you know, and the Lord gives us friends and says, uh, not, not right now. But I love how Paul's personality was. He was not afraid. And I love how the Lord gave men or, you know, women, it just says disciples, in Paul's life to actually help him when maybe he was too passionate and not thinking straight. So it's twofold there. Verse 31, then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends, they were Paul's friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. It's pretty amazing. It wasn't just his disciples. It was other friends who were authorities in Asia were saying, hey, you don't want to go in there. Sometimes the Lord, even in our good intentions to do something right, wants us to wait for whatever reason. See, Paul's friends kept him from entering into the madness. It's amazing, though, that Paul would have even wanted to go in there, into that chaos. It's not hard to imagine that Paul wanted to go in there to save his two brothers or even preach the gospel, preach peace. You see in other sections of Scripture where the Lord used these men in the New Testament to, to diffuse situations that were intense. Verse 32 says this, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. So at this point in verse 32, it was absolute anarchy and confusion. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews putting him forward. So then now we see this guy Alexander come on the scene in the middle of this commotion. So he came forward and then the Jews put him forward and Alexander motioned with his hands and wanted to make his defense to the people. So in the middle of all this chaos, here's this Jewish guy named Alexander and he, and he tries to make some sort of you know, a stance for, you know, against what was going on to defend the Jewish people. Okay, hey, you know what? Hey, we're, we're not with this guy, Paul. Don't drag us into this. Read this, you guys, verse 34. But when they found out that he was a Jew, with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of Ephesians. Could you imagine that? 
two hours, an angry mob screaming this, this proclamation. It's crazy. These people were off their rockers. They really were. insane what happens when the gospel goes forward and how the powers that control this world get stirred up. And God draws us. We need to be drawn to a place of security in the word of God, trusting him. Even when the world around us is screaming at us, things that are ungodly. Verse 35, 36, and when the city clerk, listen, had quieted the crowd. He said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. So this city clerk who would probably have had kind of the statue nowadays that we would think of as a mayor, he spoke up causing the mob to, to, to come to their senses, to be quiet. And he continues, says, For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers, blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius, being the silversmith who created all this craziness, and his fellow craftsmen who joined him in it, have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls who are the judges of the time. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other iniquity to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And you're like, what the heck? This guy steps in, says these words, and then they're done. So there's a few things here. Um, this mayor stepped in, starts sharing with them, you know, like that basically that Paul and his disciples and his followers, they weren't speaking anything against Diana at all. And also the other thing to note here is that it's fascinating. We don't, we don't, I mean, it does, Scripture doesn't tell us this guy was a believer or not. He was just a city clerk. So it's fascinating to me that, let's just call him a non-believer, okay? It's fascinating to me that this non-believer actually started advocating, really, for Paul and his disciples. You see that? It's interesting how the Lord can actually use people that aren't believers to advocate for God's purpose and plan. And so the grand scheme of things is who's in control? God. Yep. Yes. He's in control. Just like, just like when we read in the first part of 19, how all the chaos happened and everything with, you know, the, the Jewish exorcist, and it was just this, again, this uprising against Paul. And then the aftermath was that God's word went forth, and then all of them started, in, in Ephesus, started burning their magical books and stuff and started confessing their sins. And so God knows how to place all the puzzle pieces together in our lives. And it's important for us to trust him in all of those things. 
And it's just fascinating to me how we see how Luke writes this account and how we see that that this this person who wasn't a disciple starts speaking sense to the mob. And the other thing that it's important to understand too is that they were under Roman rule then, okay? And uh, if you created an unruly assembly, the Romans did not look kindly on that. And that's why he was speaking uh, that we may give to account, I'm sorry, uh, for we are in danger of being, verse 40, of being called in question for today's uproar. There was no reason for them to be there doing what was going on. And so there's a couple of points that this guy made and everyone's like, okay, and they dismiss the assembly. It's amazing. He told the silversmith, hey, look, if there's a real issue, go take it up with the courts. And that, you know, it was not a, a lawful assembly, that, w- that it was an unlawful assembly. Acts 20, verse 1 says this. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them. It's in something uh, that's important, too, to understand that in the body of Christ, there's, there's a unique love for brothers and sisters in the body. You won't receive it anywhere else. Um, I, you know, a lot of times in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm timid or I'm, I'm insecure, fearful of building relationships with other people because of my past hurts. But that's just because of my past hurts. That has nothing to do with the way the body of Christ is. And, and like I mentioned uh, before from the pulpit, you know, being vulnerable with people, and I'm not saying air your laundry out, but you see here this love that, 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 these, that, these, that these people had for each other. Paul would embrace them. I mean, could you imagine like, him embracing the two disciples that had been in the middle of that mob. They were just like, oh my gosh. Like, have you ever been in a dangerous situation that was life-threatening and at the end you're just like, you just, you embrace the, the people that, you know, that are close to you out of gratitude that their lives are still there? So we see how, how this embrace that they gave each other, that Paul embraced them. And then he departed to Macedonia. And that's, that's the ending of that. You know, for whatever reason, you know, this concluded uh, Paul's ministry at this time in Ephesus. There was a church left there as well. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fascinating. There was no more opposition. It was like Paul and his crew were like, okay, uh, we're finished here. It's time to move on. I love how the Lord can you know, do a work in our life and then things can change, you know, as, as the Lord leads us to. And we need to be willing and able to, to move as the Holy Spirit leads us. So I want to close with this section of the book of Ephesians. I want to read this to you guys. And this is where Paul writes about uh, where the opposition towards Christians in, 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 in Ephesus was coming from in the church of Ephesians. And what God had given them to combat it and what we actually have as well to combat the opposition in our lives. And if you guys have a Bible, turn there. You can read from the screen, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. This is Paul writing about Ephesians. 
about Ephesus. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's where our power comes from. There's a twofold statement there. It says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. When you think about that for a second, there's an action that God wants us to do. He wants us to take his word at face value for what it is, and he wants us to stand on his power and in his grace and in his love. He wants us to let go of our strength and let him be the strength in our life. You guys okay back there? Oh, that's okay. You can put the title of the message up there. Everyone has a Bible in here, I hope. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, it says again, stand therefore. So um, you ever seen guards at a gate? What's their stance? Are they like, what's up, homie? How you doing? No. That's not how they are. What do they do? They stand. How do they stand? Unalert or alert? Alert. They stand alert. They're, they're, they're called to protect the post. So in Ephesians, Paul's writing, he says, at the end of 13, to stand, and then 14, it says again, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So this is how we stand. We stand because we're girded with the truth of God's word. We put on this breastplate of righteousness. You say, Brian, well, I don't have any righteousness in me. I'm a sinner, filthy, dirty, rotten person that did all these things this week. Well, praise the Lord, man, because the only thing righteous in any of us is God. When we start thinking that we have our own personal righteousness, well, you've missed out. We talked about that last week, right? When the 70 came back, proclaiming how great their works were, and Jesus' words were that Satan fell, fell, from, fell like lightning. That pride gets in the way. But we put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So God's, the gospel of God's peace prepares us. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, a lot of times in life now, we don't carry shields around. We don't, we don't you know, we don't, we're, we're not in that environment, quote unquote. But I love how God's word doesn't, um, isn't negated because we don't carry shields around anymore. We can relate to this. We can relate to needing protection. We need protection from the enemy. We need protection from the fiery darts that come. We need that protection. And because of Paul's experience 
through Acts chapter 19 and 20 in Ephesus, the Lord gave him this, this amazing vision and insight of what really goes on in the spiritual realm and how believers need to stand and what we get given to us by the power of God through his word speaking to us. This is something we own, okay? It doesn't say, hey, go fashion a, a shield. Go buy a shield. Go find these things. No, the word of God says, take it up. Hold it. Taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Where's our faith at? Is your faith in your strength? Is your faith in your bank account? Is your faith in your relationships? Is your faith in your marriage? Is your faith in your house, your things, your cars, any of those things? Is your faith in your physical well-being? I'm getting older. Some of you I know are older than me. No way that goes out the window when 40 hits. Unless, you know, you work out every day and run marathons. I was talking with, I was talking with Brian, and he's got a, a, a teacher who's on his, what, 25th degree? I don't know what it was. Seventh degree. Some people put all of their faith and all of their hope and all of their energy into degrees for things. Our faith and our hope and our strength needs to come from the Lord. And Paul writes us, uh, the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to write this because of his experience, knowing that what was at hand, that it's our faith in Jesus, our faith in God, our faith that what the Bible says is true is where we are able to hide. You go to Psalms and you read through David's life and he, uh, he would always talk about hiding in the, in the Lord's strong tower, the, the Lord's wings covering him. There's this, and, and a lot of times in our lives as human beings, we think hiding is a place of weakness, but God has given us the freedom to hide under the presence of the Lord and in his strength. And how many times in our lives do we take a step out of that? Paul and his people, his disciples, they didn't take a step out in that. They didn't move out from that. They were in the middle of it and they knew they needed to stay in it. Verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 6 says this, and it continues on and says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we need this helmet, this truth that we are saved, covers our mind. We are saved. My name, your name if you're a believer, is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, just like Jesus spoke about that I referenced last week, and there's nothing that can take that away. And so we need to have this covering over our mind of where we're going to go when we're dead. There's so much uncertainty in this world nowadays, and it's just going to get more fun. It's just going to look more and more like this situation in Ephesus. It really is. I mean, what we're dealing with now, I mean, if you catch little snippets of the news of what's being fed into the mainstream of our world, it's really, really, really interesting. I'll just leave it at that. You know, many preachers through the years said, Jesus is coming soon. Well, there's a a lot of things that are lining up in the last six months that haven't been there in 4,000 years. There's things happening in Israel that have never happened before. There's things happening in technology that have never happened before. The stage is being set. And my question is, are we working to draw people into the Lord? Are, is our agenda what we can physically accomplish in this world or is our agenda asking the Lord, Lord, I need your help to, to make an impact spiritually in the people's lives around me.
Because when it's all said and done, the whole world is going to be rolled up like a scroll. None of this is going to matter. And everyone's going to stand before the Lord. And you're either going to stand with him for eternity or you'll stand with him and be judged and sent away and be separated from him for eternity. And so we see that that's a reality in our life and, 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 and God gave us his word so that we would know these things. But beyond that, he tells us through Ephesians here that we have this armor that God gives us. In verse 18, the writer Paul says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. It's interesting not only do we receive the supernatural armor of God that withstands things that we have no ability to take care of of ourselves, and then the writer, the Holy Spirit, through Paul says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In other words, we need to be praying always, not, Lord, where's my keys? And that's it. Or, Lord, fix my spouse, and that's it or my bank account, or whatever ailment you go to God because sometimes we think God is this blessing giver. Well, yes, he is, but he needs to be our advocate. He needs to be our healer. He needs to be our source of strength, our source of life. He needs to be our source of mental thinking, our source of emotional stability. He needs to be all in all in every nuance of our body, every aspect of our cell, every aspect of our being needs to be submitted to the Lord so that we can be seen as burning bright torches in a dying dark world. And it needs to be our cry for God to help us to be that because in our own strength, it's impossible. But he gives us this armor and this armor is all forward facing. It's, it's, it's not a defensive armor. It's, it's an offense. It's forward facing. And it's the Lord's armor that he gives us. And I'm preaching to myself, man. And to pray always, led by the Holy Spirit, to be watchful to this end with all perseverance. This end, what end is that? We need to be watchful to the end of the age. We need to always be watchful. Be watchful until the Lord takes the breath out of you. I don't know what that day's like. None of us are guaranteed anything. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're guaranteed now as we sit here. And so we see this amazing account of what happened in Ephesus. And, you know, even when the enemy comes in to lie, kill, steal, and destroy, God is greater than all of those things. I think about the account of Job and, and Satan had to, Satan has to go to God. You know, someone's like, oh, you know, the enemy, this and da, da, da. You know, well, well, sometimes I think we're proclaiming too much about the enemy. We're not proclaiming enough about God's authority over things, you know. And, and, it, and it has to come out of the knowledge of his word, not out of our own human intellect. Because then we can stand on it. So it's amazing. It's an amazing account. I'm, I'm excited to continue. We'll, we'll finish up Acts sometime this year. <laughs> We've been in it for over a year. 
And uh, it's just been really neat, like watching the progression of God moving through human beings to progress his church and even in opposition, even in opposition, even in dire situations, God can use even people who aren't following him to set things straight in the world sometimes. And it's just a neat thing watching Paul and his perseverance and the followers and the Lord using him. And it's such an example to me of that, that, that our God can do anything. He can do anything. There's nothing too, too great or too small for him. And in the middle of all of that, because some of us are like, well, I'm not going to be in a mob, you know, where there's thousands of people coming against me. That's not going to happen in my life. Some of us feel like the mob is in our mind. The mob's in our emotions. When we go to bed at night, we're stuck with us, you know. Be encouraged that Jesus loves you, that he understands you, that he, he, he knows everything about you, and he loves you still. He knows everything about me, and he loves me still. He's our encourager, you know. He's the light in the darkness, like that song we were singing. That's who he is, you know. And that's what he wants to be in our life, the Lord of our life, the encourager of our life, the lover of our soul wants to have a daily, moment-by-moment relationship with you and I. And we need to let him so that his strength can be made perfect in our weakness. We need to let him into our lives in all areas. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to watch the Lord change our lives for his good you know, and he's at work. He's doing great things. You know, like I, uh, the meeting I was at this last week, I was at Health and Human Services, and, you know, you had, there's a lot of people that were there that were uh, in charge of a lot of things within the school district out here, and I was thinking about that. And, you know, a lot of times God sat his servants before kings that were in the world. And I really believe the Lord is allowing this body to come in contact with authorities within this community um, and the authorities in this community within the school system are dying for help. They're dying for help. They're desperate for it. The school system is in disarray. It really is. There's things happening that a, a supervisor even said it's just, he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't describe it. It was just in flux is what he said. When, when a leader says that, it can mean a lot of different things, okay? But there's a lot of changes happening. A lot of students are being affected by it. A lot of families are affected by it. And when you have a community of families where they were already struggling and something like this happens, it's like having the floor fall out. And I've been praying, and I need you guys to be praying too, for this body to have inroads into this community to, tra to, to help transform the lives of the families in this community. Before we even had a place to meet here, I'll close on this. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I just believe the Lord wants me to share this. Some of you don't know this. Before we had a place to meet, you know, three and a half years ago, however long it was, Gina and I and the kids, we'd drive around and pray and pray, and we just prayed. We just drove around this community and prayed. And... Um, you know, a lot of times in church planting, you try and build your team and get your place and get your funding and all that. Those aren't bad things. Um, 
you know, it takes dollars to keep lights on, whatever. God's blessed us with a ridiculously cheap proposal here, so praise the Lord for that, for our rent and stuff. So, but what I'm getting at is that um, the Lord put on my heart and my wife's heart and, and, and the rest of the, ser- the team serving here that, that a way into this community is through the kids. And, and it's one thing to have like a dialogue about that and talk about a vision because we all have great th- thinking and great ideas and stuff. But then when I sit at a meeting with leaders that have been serving in this community for 20 plus years in the school systems and they are speaking that, I'm like, okay, God, like you've already put this in our hearts before any of this even happened. And now these are people who are in the trenches of all of this, speaking what you've put on our hearts for, for a while in this ministry. I mean, I, I, I've always had a, a heart for students and stuff, and, and I was serving in the Christian club at the high school before we even had any meetings. God allowed me to build relationships with one of the principals out here that we would pray every morning as Christian principal before we had any church services, ever, ever. And so the Lord has given us opportunity, strategic opportunities in this community for children and the families. And so I want you guys to be praying as a body. What does that look like for you to help and serve in that area? It could be, you know, donating money. It could be getting materials for kids. It could be buying clean underwear and socks for the homeless kids for hope. I don't know yet. But I just want to share with you that the Lord, I believe, is opening a door for Metanoia Community Church, Oliverhurst, not to throw money one time at the school system, but to partner with them for the lives and well-being of the families in Olivehurst. And the same, the same tone is spoken by a handful of people, actually, in this Olivehurst Task Force meeting that I was at. And it's just a neat thing. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm nobody. We're, in the grand scheme of it, we're nothing, okay? But God is great, and He wants to do amazing things in people's lives. And you have to know one thing, too, about me is that I'm not one to just go and do service projects, quote-unquote, because you can feed people to hell, okay? The gospel has to be centric for this ministry, okay? But if the Lord wants to allow a material situation led by the Holy Spirit through relationships with leaders in the school district so that we can impact students, so that we are known in the families' lives here that we're here, then praise the Lord, you know? God did that many times with His people in the Old Testament, Use them in secular situations to draw the word of God and the power of God into communities, you know? And I mean, it's, it's just an amazing thing. And I just wanted to share that with you guys. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and pray. And um, if you guys need prayer for anything after service, just come talk with me or Gina or anybody else that was up here in front, um, anybody in the back of the soundboard, we'd be happy to pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the grace and patience of the hearers here. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, that you allow us to see Paul in this chaotic situation, Lord. Just, I couldn't imagine being his two disciples in the middle of that, what might have been going through their minds. Lord, our lives can have situations in it that we don't see the end of it. We don't understand how it's going to come together. but you do. So I pray, Father, that if there's somebody here today that needs to hear from you in that area, Lord, that you're just going to take care of things, that you just speak that to them, Lord. If there's somebody here who needs prayer today, that you'd give them the trust and faith to ask for that, Lord. 
Thank you for what you're doing, Father God, in and through our lives individually and corporately as a ministry. Just pray, God, that you would just continue to, to give um, your church, your followers, Lord, not this church, your church as a whole in the world, inroads, Lord, into areas, God, that are covert. Areas, Lord, to, to, to get in and, 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 and build community and build spiritual health, Lord. Just thank you so much for um, each and every person here. Just ask you to bless them, protect them, and be with their families, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.